there are important things to pass along, right? Right? I mean, only responsible adults would teach their children the right teams to cheer for. What's interesting is, if the studies that have recently come out are true, then the most important thing is not getting passed on. Sports teams might be habits, hobbies, but the most important thing is not. In fact, recent studies suggest that 50% of the kids that grow up in church, only 50% will remain faithful as adults. 50%, half. And here's what's interesting about that statistic. That comes in a time when churches are being more intentional and creative with kids and students and teenagers than they have ever been. More attention is being given to children's ministries, preschool ministries, youth ministries. More finances are being diverted there. More creativity is being developed there. More approaches are being used. And yet it says that 50% will no longer be active. When I look back on my high school graduation day, and it was just one of those years in our church in Dyersburg. First Dyersburg, I grew up as a church about this size. We ran 350 to 400 on a Sunday. It was you know, not a huge church. But on that particular Sunday, we had 33 graduates. When I look back on that, the statistics hold pretty true. About half of us are still involved in church. And so if the church is more creative and better at curriculum and programming and all of that with children and preschoolers and teenagers than it has ever been, is focusing more on it than it ever has in the history of the church, and yet more of our kids are walking away from the faith than have in recent years, perhaps the issue is not with the church. Perhaps the reason for that is not the Sunday morning or Wednesday night activities. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've been talking about this concept of perfect family. And what we're talking about is moving from the reality of where we are to what God's ideal is. Moving from the reality of what life is to what God's ideal is. And we're going to look in just a moment in Deuteronomy chapter 6 at what's kind of there. And let me just make a confession to you on the front end, something to kind of just say to you. There is nothing in my life that shows me my need for grace and mercy more than my relationships in my own family. Amen? I mean, my relationship with my spouse is uh, one of those that constantly the way I react, the way I speak, the way I say things reminds me over and over again of the grace and the mercy. On this calling that I have in my life with my four children that God has blessed me with, the burden that is there to teach them and to help them and to show them and to grow them in the way the Lord has called me to do, that is one of those things that just reveals my own inadequacies so many times. And some of us in this room are working through that 
with good models that went before us. Your parents were good models. Your grandparents were good models. And so you're just trying to live up to or follow along in that. But some of us are trying to reinvent the wheel because we don't even know what that looks like in our families. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to see a couple of interesting things about what Scripture teaches us about this concept of passing on to the next generation and the generation after that what is most important. What is of first importance? What is of utmost priority? Chapter 6, starting in verse 5. We're just going to kind of go verse by verse for a little bit through here. And it says, You love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength or mind. I want to stop just a second and talk about something that happens here that gets overlooked. Well, one of the interesting things about that, uh, that, that is a command, and in a command, we're going to go back to English class for a minute. In a command, what is the understood subject? You, right? And in our language, we don't have a different word for single you and plural you, right? You have to know context. And so, it, for instance, if I just said the sentence, Thank you for all the work you did in helping to get ready for this weekend. You'd have to know whether I was talking to Eli sitting on his bed when we've got company coming in for this weekend, or I'm talking to a group of people that had helped get the sanctuary ready for the weekend, right? You'd have to know the context. Now, in the South, we have a way to differentiate, right? Y'all, right? I, I believe that they really ought to create a Southern Bible. Amen? Right? I mean, they, they don't even have to change the name. You know, it's the HCSB, that stands for Holman Christian Standard Bible. Just call it the Holman Christian Southern Bible, alright? It'd make it easier on places like this because there's an interesting shift that happens. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses, who is speaking here, is speaking to the entire nation of Israel. Now, he's giving them some instructions before they go into the promised land. Why does he have to give them instructions before they go in the promised land? Because he's not going. Lord's told him, you're not going. You're going to die before it's time. So this is a last sermon. This is the entire book of Deuteronomy. It's his final farewell sermon to them. And he says, you and the nation of Israel understand something. The Lord your God is one. And then he says, love him with all your heart. Here's the interesting thing that happens there. He transitions from a national you to an individual you. So this is a message, and when we talk about leaving a legacy or passing down our faith, it starts with you. Not us, not y'all, but you. And so for the next few minutes, what I want you to do is, even if you're sitting next to, you know, the, your loved ones and you, 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 your family and y'all hold hands and put your arms around each other and y'all doing that out there, okay, just focus on you. In the first service I said, I know some of y'all stopped holding hands like 40 years ago. I got some angry scowls. I mean, what? I said, I lighten up. All right, here we go. This is for you. Who's it for? Good. All right? Not us. So it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
I want to divide that into two things because two of those kind of go together and one stands on its own. The first two go together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. What that's talking about is an internal affection for the Lord. This is not the kind of, I'm going to wake up in the morning and no matter if it kills me, I'm going to love God. This is not the kind of willful kind of thing of, hey, no matter what, I'm just going to keep doing it until it feels right. This is that we are to love the Lord our God with all that we have, with all that we are, with our affections turned towards Him. The reality is that we understand what situation we were in without the Lord, and because of what He's done for us, then we love Him, we care for Him, we are deeply grateful to Him for who He is. Just the chapter before this, Moses restates the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are pretty easy to understand, right? I mean, don't steal, don't lie, don't murder, don't take your neighbor's wife, don't say things you shouldn't say, worship God only. In fact, here's the thing, you know, when I was in kindergarten, they had those up on our wall. Ten Commandments. Or up on the wall. I'm not here to debate public school, Ten Commandments, all that stuff. But here's the point I want to make. They thought they were simple enough for a five-year-old to understand them, right? But here's also the thing about the Ten Commandments. They are not higher-level ethics, higher-level theology. They're very simple. But when you look at them, you realize that they are impossible to keep. Amen? Now, some of you out here go, no, I've never broken it. Yeah, you have. Go go read Jesus, what he says about them, and you have, all right? They're impossible to keep. So the reality is the Ten Commandments were not given to us to give us a code of ethics to live by alone. They were given to make us realize that we cannot in any way live up to what God expects of us. Jesus says, Paul says, that we are to understand them in light of Jesus. Paul says they were our tutor advising us about how wicked we were and to realize our need for the Lord. What he's saying here to them is the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the idea is that what has happened in their life for this group of people is they've been taken out of bondage not because they deserved it, not because they were good, but because God loved them. And what he's saying is you Love the Lord out of an understanding of what it means that God has rescued you. The first step in passing on a legacy of faith to your generation that is the children or your grandchildren is to understand this. You can never pass on what you don't have. Love the Lord with all your heart and your soul. Let your affections that have been turned towards Him because of what He has done for you be quickened. May they be changed. May they be intensified in Him. And love Him with all your strength. The idea there is, in everything you do, in the way you act, in the way you speak, in the way you think, in the way you relate, in everything you do, your everyday walking around life, your day-to-day interaction with people that you see, in everything you do, live out of a strength and a love for the Lord. This isn't some white-knuckled obedience because I have to. This is a desire to obey because of what He has done. It is a passionate devotion to Him. 
We have parents and grandparents that desperately want for their children what they don't have. They've grown up in church. They've gone to church. They've done the church thing. They've been on committees. They've served on teams. They've taught Sunday school. They've been to Sunday school. They've come to VBS. They've helped out in VBS. They've been on a mission trip. But they don't have a deep love of God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their strength. And you cannot pass on to them what you don't have. In fact, he kind of continues that in verse 5 when he says, these words that I'm giving you, this what I'm telling you, they are to be in your heart. The idea is that as you love the Lord or your God with your soul and your heart and your mind, they'll begin to get deep inside of you. It'll become to change who you are. It'll transform you from the inside out. The heart there means the inner body, inner part of who you are. And that these truths, this evidence of who God is, who God is in your life, will begin to saturate who you are to the point that you will feel it and change and understand. Anybody feel the humidity when you got outside this morning? It's hot in here. Amen? Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? It's hot. You didn't even got lights pointed on you, all right? It's hot. I stepped out of my house this morning, and it, you felt the humidity. I got in my car, and I just looked on um, as I was getting ready to drive. I wanted to check the temperature, and it said it was 68 degrees. That's good, right? Humidity level, 97%. Well, don't you look forward to July around here? Woo! Heat index. Don't you all love that phrase? Heat index. 82 degrees. Stuffy. I mean, even in here, right? It's stuffy. You feel it. It is so saturated with moisture that you can literally feel it. The idea here in Deuteronomy 6 5 is that our lives would become so saturated with the truth and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God that we would be evident to those around us about who our attention and our devotion is towards. It's a phrase, there's a phrase that I've kind of used from the time I started preaching almost 12 years ago. And um, I, don't re- I don't remember reading anywhere. I could have read it somewhere, but I've just kind of claimed it as something that the Lord gave me. And it's simply this. And it's the first major principle I want you to understand. If your faith is not real to you, it will not matter to your kids. If your faith is not real to you, it won't matter to them. There's some parents. They talk about it and they'll say something like, I, I just want a good kid. I, mean, I just want my kid to be good. I, I just want good things for them. And, and you, what comes out of that basically is, I don't want them to do bad stuff. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want them cussing. And, or, I, I don't want them doing drugs. and I don't want them cheating at school. And, I want them to be good people. You know what I mean? I want them to be good people. I, I don't want them to... Smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do, right? And so they'll say something like, I just want good kids. I want them to have good, I want them to do good stuff. I want them to be good. So they'll say something like, so I just got to get them into church. That's what I got to do. We got to get them into church. And so sometime what you'll see is a family that'll come to church. And if that's you today, I'm not getting on to you yet, all right? 
Just we, I've had enough. I've seen them going down the road. I just got to get them into church. Gotta, that's what I got to do. I got to get them into church. I got to be good kids. I got to get them into church. And I thought about this today as I was, uh, or last night as I was preparing this. I went to the dentist last year. And my dentist, I sat down in the chair and directly in my sight of vision, before they, you know, flooded me with light so I can't see, was a sign that said, our dentist cannot undo in one visit what you have done for six months. That's not very encouraging, is it? That's a job, right? Can I tell you that just getting them into church, that we can't undo in church in two hours what you do seven days a week? If it's not real to you, it won't matter to them. In fact, there's been these longitudinal studies. Do you know what that means? It means they study people for a long time, all right? They studied families. I'm talking about generations of families to see what effects people have on their children and what the characteristics of their children, the character of their children, the actions of their children, see what kind of effects they have on them. And you know what they've discovered? This is the phrase, the big finding came out of that. You get what you are. What you're doing today is helping to determine who your children will become tomorrow. I had a little reminder of that this week. You may ever um, had your child do something, say something, and you look at them and think, they are just like me. Anybody ever had that? Yeah, more of you have had that than raising your hand. I know it's hot, but you can get your hand up, all right? I've said this, too, that the things that I find mildly irritating in myself drive me absolutely crazy in my kids. Amen? Y'all, y'all, are y'all here? Amen? All right, here's the thing. This week, Eli had a living wax museum project. He had to be Andrew Jackson. That means he had to dress like Andrew Jackson. He had to have a poster board because every project in school you've got to have a poster board, right? Or one of those new stand-up things. He had to write a speech and he had to write a report. He had to do all this stuff, dress up, all this. And so uh, on Tuesday, he had to turn all that in. On Thursday, he had to stand up in the hallway of his school with a lot of his classmates dressed up. He had a marker drawn, a black button on his hand. And if somebody came up and pushed the button, he had to start talking like Andrew Jackson. It was due Tuesday. We've known about it for two or three weeks. Guess when we started working on it? Monday. How do you all know my house? We don't know that's happening around there. So we spent approximately, give or take an hour, nine hours on that project on Monday. And as I was sitting there working with him, you know, encouraging him, um, pushing him, uh, motivating him to complete the work, I had a flashback to my fourth grade experience When I accidentally told my dad the night before it was due that we had to build a two-scale model of a Spanish mission. And I remember my dad sitting there as we were carving out of the cardboard the archway doors and filling the dirt in on the finished project. Someday you will pay for this. Right? And guess what? It started. I don't think it's over, but it started. The point is we get who we are. Here's the harsh reality about that. Now, I'm not saying this is a 100% correlation, but it's pretty significant. If you want kids that are passionately involved with, seeking, 
pursuing the Lord. You need to be passionately pursuing, seeking the Lord. Because here's the issue. Kids in their nature are not predisposed to follow God. In fact, kids are bad. Amen? I heard some whispered amens. I've said if you don't believe in original sin, have a child. It will change your theology quickly. Right? It's not just me. It's what the Bible says. David in Psalm 51.5 says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. Sinful when my mother conceived me. Ephesians 2.3 says, By nature we were children under wrath. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right in the heart of man, but in the end it leads to death or destruction. I, I used to have a... Um, I used to have a different view of kids screaming, a different perspective on kids screaming in uh, Walmart or the grocery store. And I don't mean like the physical different viewpoint because now I'm pushing the cart when they're doing it. But you know, before I had kids, here's my theory about that. The farther you are away from having that stage in your life, the less sympathetic you are towards it. Amen? Okay? When you're in it, you're like, oh, God bless them. You know, give them the chocolate bar. Let them have it. Right? The farther away you get, you're like, they need to discipline that child. They should not allow that sort of behavior in the grocery store. Okay? Here's the thing. I used to think, before I had kids, I thought, boy, there's something wrong with the way they're treating the child or what they're doing, you know, there's something wrong with the way they're handling the situation. Now I realize kids are just bad, right? I mean, think about it. I have never bit my wife and taken the remote control from her. If you have, I'm not judging. I'm just saying I haven't. I've never thrown myself on the floor and thrown a fit because I couldn't have Oreos for supper. Pouted maybe, not throw myself on the floor, right? I have yet to shove another adult because they took something I wanted. All those things have happened in my house. They did not learn that from me. Right? It was a part of who they are. Their selfish nature coming out. And what we as parents, part of our job is, is to remind them of the fact that in spite of how wretched we are, God loves us. In spite of how terrible we are, God loves us. And the beauty of the gospel is that He can take people like you and me and our kids and He can transform them into people who are followers of His. Look what it goes on to say. Since once you've kind of got this in your heart and it's gone down deep in who you are, with this deeper understanding, then you begin to pass it on. Verse says, repeat them. That's the rules, the laws, all that stuff. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Repeat them. Over and over and over and again. 
and again. One translation says to do it diligently because it's not easy. The world is going to throw deception at them at every turn. And it is our job to teach them the truth of the gospel. How wretched they are without Christ. How poor we are without Him. But praise be to God that He has provided a way for us. And so moms and dads, you don't have to be perfect for your kids, but you can tell them about the one who is. And you look for opportunities to have engaging conversations about spiritual matters. You look for questions. I don't know about you, but my kids are naturally inquisitive. You look for opportunities to answer their questions with a spiritual dimension. He goes on to say in there, bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know the worst thing that we can do with our kids? The worst thing that we can do with our kids is to teach them to conform to an ethical or moral system without leading them and what it means to be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. You want to put weights and shackles on your kids? Just tell them to follow the rules without a transformed relationship with Jesus. By the time Jesus comes along, the Pharisees had pretty much started doing that with everybody. And that's why Matthew chapter 23, he looks at him and says, you're like whitewashed tubes. You're like the cup that looks good on the outside, but the inside is dirty. It's because you haven't been transformed and you're trying to follow this moral system without a heart that has been transformed with a passionate devotion to the Lord. So the goal of our parenting is never to conform them to a moral system. The goal of our parenting is to teach them about the glory of God, the sinfulness of man, and the free gift of grace that God provides and salvation to us. In fact, one ethicist said, if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, then everything else will fall into place. Let me ask you a question. How are you binding this on your hand and a symbol on your forehead and writing it on the doorpost of your family? Whether you've got kids or grandkids, how are you consistently engaging them with truths of Scripture? Can I tell you that they are going to encounter a world where Satan, the great deceiver, has got people deceiving everyone left and right. And without the lens of truth looking in their lives, they will never be able to understand what is right and what is wrong. What is good and what is evil. What's okay and what's best. The idea is that we live our lives passionately devoted to the Lord. And as we do that, we also encourage them with truths about the Lord. Susan and I, a couple of years ago, decided that we were going to make some significant efforts to try to put Scripture in front of our kids to help them to understand some things. And and so we started putting things around our house. And this morning, as I was leaving the house, I just took a picture of a few things just to kind of to show you some things. It's not to say that this is what you have to do, but some things that we try to do around the house. And um, I think I've got, here's our first one. There are my four kid pictures. It's, it's appropriate to ooh and ah, aren't they beautiful and cute and all that? 
Um, and then right above it, it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. Here, here's a cool story about that. We we put that up a few years ago. In fact, um, and I don't see Brian and Lori Rager here. First time I ever met Brian and Lori Rager was they were putting this up in our house. And we got to talking about the church and all that kind of stuff. And they had thought about visiting and visited. And, and, and we become great friends with that family because she does a business that does this. But last night, uh, part of what got me thinking about this is, Last night we were at the dinner table and we were talking about things. And my kids have a chore chart. You know what a chore chart is, right? Uh, clean the playroom without complaint. Take the trash out without being asked. You know, we have to add those things on the end. You know, um, eat your food that we tell you to eat. Those kind of things, okay? And one of the things on the, the chart is memorize scripture. And so if they can memorize the scripture and repeat it to us, they get a star. So last night we were asking them. And Luke sat there for a minute and... and and uh, this is the first time it's been on Luke's chore chart. And he was like, what is Scripture? So we, it's a Bible verse. He goes, oh, I know a Bible verse. I know a Bible verse. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. We were like, wow, that's great, Luke. I said, where did you, where have you seen that? He goes, oh, it's on our wall. <laughs> he can't read yet, but he knows we've talked about it, all right? Uh, I'll show you Eli's room real quick. Not the whole room because that would be disastrous, but just the wall. And this is um, Jackie Norman and Sherry Whitfield um, were part of Bible Drill last uh, fall with our some of our kids. And these are just scripture verses on a card. It's the last thing he sees before he goes to bed. We taped him up right there. He cannot quote all those, but last night when we were asking him, he goes, wait, 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 I know one. And he quoted one from these cards that he had been looking at. All right? Um, and then uh, one last one uh, we have. This is something Susan just did. Uh, she went out to Hobby Lobby and bought something. That's a chalkboard in the middle. She painted it. And any of you ladies recognize those rosettes? My wife has become rosette queen, all right? We've got rosettes on our door and all through the house now, all right? Um, and it's just a chalkboard. And this is right in our kitchen, right where we sit to eat. And we talked about this verse last night. We just change it regularly, erase it, put a new one up, each one new week. Now, there are many other ways. I mean, this is the only ways in our house. We do devotions and those kind of things with our kids. But we want to be consistently speaking truth into their life from the Word of God. We want what we're doing to shine forth the truth of the Lord. Because if it doesn't make a difference in our life, it's not going to matter to them. And then we want to consistently speak truth into them that are going to encounter deceit and lies on a regular basis. Can I tell you something? It wouldn't go to a hundred because that's not how it kind of works. But if we, if you, not y'all, if you, would focus on loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and sharing the truth of God's Word on a regular basis with your kids, it would go a long way to making that 50% number obsolete. So let me ask you, how are you doing? Not y'all, not us, you. Let's pray together.